Welcome to Cybersecurity Business. I'm your host, Kevin Poucher, the COO of KLogix. In our podcast, we interview CISOs, CIOs, and other security leaders to hear their advice on the business of information security. This podcast gives our listeners actionable takeaways to help them increase the effectiveness of their security program. Today, we're joined by Chris Dunning for the second time. Chris, hi, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me. So last time we spoke, uh, we were talking about at-risk data and the dark web and how to better secure your program. And so, you know, you knocked it out of the park. The audience loved you and the content. So uh, we wanted to bring you back. And, and for this episode, we'll be discussing leadership in security and how CISOs can drive transformation within the business. So you're the first repeat guest, Chris. How does, how does that make you feel? I'm very proud. I'm very proud. <laughs> um, so in the last podcast, you sort of walked us through your career. Uh, anything new? Anything changed? More responsibility, no, I, less responsibility? No, look, the, I, I think a lot of the role and responsibility of the security leader of any organization, you know, has to be, you know, something that really drives transformation within the organization. You know, reporting up through, you know, the executive leadership team at this company where I'm tapped on the shoulder to help with things that a typical, you know, CISO or CSO would do. And, and those things typically are transformational within, you know, the, the IT or technology part of the company. And, and, you know, that is something that has to continue to evolve, I think, in the industry and the world in general. You know, one of the examples I'll give you is, so pre, you know, pandemic, a lot of discussion was happening about, you know, you know, digital transformation in companies in the digital workplace. And, you know, luckily, you know, we were forward looking enough to say, look, this is something that we really want to spend some time on. And as the CSO of the company, I took executive sponsorship to promote and drive, you know, a digital workplace culture for the company worldwide. And, you know, we've got offices all over the world. And what does that mean? That means that you have the tools, you have the technology, and you can work anywhere in the world. And that often aligns to a, you know, a, a home office that you have, um, or I should say a corporate office you have, that very quickly transformed into a home office as part of, you know, the response to COVID-19. And, you know, everybody, you know, I joke often and I tell people, you know, I took on driving Microsoft Teams and, you know, the implementation of that. And, and that meant, you know, retiring another tool that we were using, you know, specifically for, you know, you know, calls and video conferencing and things like that. You know, Teams has much more capability, you know, than, than just the, the conferencing capability. But, you know, I gave myself a year to try to get, you know, you know 4,000 people to change from doing one thing to something else. And in two weeks, because of COVID-19, I was done with the Microsoft Teams implementation. And the power that that brought and the agility that it brought to how executives, managers, individual contributors, everybody works every day, just changed so dynamically. And to that point today, actually had some discussions with the head of, you know, the desktop 
in the end user team around changes that Microsoft Teams rolled out this week that basically give you options for audio connections. Because in the future, when you go into a conference room, Microsoft Teams is going to have a device on the conference room table that you pass over audio to when you walk in with your laptop. So you can stay on camera, you can do all your same tools and technology, but the audio would be shared in a device in the room. And Microsoft is already implementing that technology, preparing for people to use it. And I think that's a lot of what, you know, that's just an example of, of how I go outside of my comfort zone, you know, which is, you know, the security aspect of it. But I think there are other opportunities as well with other tools and technologies to help drive and change the business. And security is sitting right in the forefront of that. So you brought up the pandemic, which look, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that. So, okay, speaking of this pandemic, I can't help but think, is it, so speaking of being a leader, is it harder to sort of step up and maintain that leadership like in this pandemic, right? Like, are you all of a sudden now, if you think about leading, are you becoming sort of chief motivational officer for, you know, your team and people around you? Because, you know, it's hard. I mean, look, we're, there's people that get negative. It's, it's hard to just kind of keep your head down and sort of see the trees through the forest between now and spring. So does that make it more of a challenge to be a leader? I think it changes the way leaders have to behave. Um, you know, I, you know, a couple of examples is, you know, when I started the program around digital transformation for the company, I didn't introduce myself as the CSO for the company. I introduced myself as the digital workplace evangelist. Hmm. And told them how great this is and what a difference it makes and how I manage my leaders and my teams and managing is managing up as well as down and across the organization. So, you know, dealing with the executive team, you know, my biggest challenge was getting them to use these tools prior to the pandemic. After the pandemic, I'm like the rock star for, you know, being, you know, the great Karnak for seeing how this tool would be great for us as a company and how it delivered on what it was needed. But at the same time, there were still leaders within this company, and I'm sure companies all over the world, who refused to get on camera. And, mm. you know, every call I join, and, you know, prior to us actually recording this call, you saw on Zoom, I joined on camera. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what I do. And my expectation in, in, in the company is anybody director level and above, if they're interfacing with their direct reports, or they're dealing on a call with two or three people, they should be on camera because to lead, you have to be seen, not just heard. And, and it changes the dynamic of the call. You know, Microsoft Teams for us as a company has become the great equalizer in the fact that before, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got global teams. I've got, you know, somebody who reports to me in Richmond. I've got somebody who reports to me in the UK. You know, I've got somebody in Connecticut. You know, I've got people spread out, you know, kind of, all over the world from direct reports. Never mind the teams I work with are everywhere, France, Switzerland, all over the place. And historically, when we would join a meeting, we'd get on a conference call and the five people in the room did nothing but talk over the people that were on the phone. Huh. You couldn't break in, you couldn't be heard. What right. Microsoft Teams has done is the it's end because of the pandemic has made everybody equal 
when we meet and we engage and interact. And I think that's, that's one of the most positive things that's come out of this. Everybody's the same now. Everybody can be heard. And you know, the other part of this is, you know, using a, a conference phone in a room, you just, and now that you use, you know, an IP device and, and using technology like Teams and Zoom, the quality is like we're sitting together in the room talking. You know, it wasn't this pause you always had to do, wait for somebody to stop before you speak. We can, we can actually engage in an active conversation um, at a very different level than we did in the past. Right, but it sounds like you as the leader, you're leading by example, right? You're making sure, as you mentioned, that you are really seen. And it sounds like you're seen in more ways than one. And I think part of being seen is, is you know, being proactive. And I think that's, you had a proactive digital transformation strategy. You have proactive conversations with the business. And I think that's one of the reasons that you know, you are sort of, at least you give the impression that you're sort of effortlessly successful, even though I know there is a lot of effort that goes into that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you think about what you hear sometimes in the world of information security, and that's, oh, we're, we're so busy, uh, we're drinking through a fire hose, everything we do seems to be reactive. And so it's this notion of reactive versus proactive. And I guess I wonder, from your opinion, do you think that this sort of constant reactive mode, is that a result of weak leadership or a result of maybe a board sort of being stuck in the past and not giving organizations what they need? Or again, is that just a result of weak leadership not being able to convey to the business what you need? What are your thoughts on that? And, and look, I, I, I'm going to be the last person in the world to pass judgment on anyone else, given their strength or weakness in, in their leadership skills. I think the focus has to be more on, you know, your ability to manage a team. You know, let's go back to basics for a minute. You know, I, you know, I grew up in a data center, you know, right out of school. Um, I went into a data center and started working and spent, uh, you know, a portion of my career there. And, you know, it, it, it made me see how all the pieces work together. And what are the pieces? The pieces are the people. Certain people are expert in their particular role or function or responsibility, and you have to leverage that expertise. I think it has to be the same logic that you apply to, you know, any security or information protection organization. Look, I can't be, it's not possible for me to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, there are brilliant people that focus on very specific areas and are just such extreme experts. And my job as the leader is to go out and hire and find those really great, smart, collaborative, brilliant people to come join the security organization. And then from there, I have to support them. I have to give them everything they need to be successful to continue to develop and grow. And as long as I do that, I don't have to worry about you know, you know, the next threat or the next risk, you know, you have to have a program and you have to have all the right things in place, but it all starts with the people on the team and, and you have to find them and then you've got to invest in them. You know, you, you know there, there was a story about a large bank who had a breach and after the breach happened, they found out or they realized that the leader that they had brought in to run the security organization for this bank had come from a, a military background. And he came in and he ran the security organization like it was the military. 
And what had happened over a year and a half was all of those really smart, brilliant, collaborative people left. Hmm. And that's what created the weakness that ultimately was the compromise for that bank. And I think that's a lesson for everybody to learn and to understand. You have to have people that you trust and to have people that you can work with and, and that you can uh, develop and grow. So when you hire these people, like, do you, do you look for leaders? Like I read this article the other day and, you know, talks about, you know, are, are leaders uh, born or are they made? And, and really the stat was that one third of leaders are born while the remaining two third of leaders are made. You know, what's your reaction to that? Is that different in the world of information security? Like, do you look for leaders or do you look for people that have certain qualities that you groom into leaders? Yeah, I guess I look more for both. You know, so I, I, I would concur um, with that analysis that there are some leaders who are just really great leaders. Um, and then, you know, look, in, in this world, it's evolved, you know, since the 1990s and the 2000s. You know, back in the 1990s, there was nothing but breach upon breach upon breaching of every company. Into the 2000s, you know, you know, the last 20 years, there's much more government and regulatory oversight that's driven a lot of best practice and process and controls that need to happen. And people have grown up in that and have kind of understood it. You know, back in the day, I would go find somebody who was expert in network administration configuration, and I'd move them into the security group to do network security. I mean, and to basically, you know, work with those teams and drive those teams. So I look for technical experts. Today, you also need to go find really good business people who understand the application, the business process, the business process flows, how a company needs and uses data to generate revenue and bring them into the organization because there's very specific functions that they can add real value to in the governance and compliance space where it's not just all technical security. So you really have to be willing to, you know, find people that are expert in technology, bring them into security, find people who are expert in business and business process, bring them into security. But once you get them in there, you got to continue to develop them and grow them. So how about this? People are listening that maybe they're uh, a new CISO taking on a new leadership role. Yep. Um, and they want to sort of drive down that transformation path that you've really already gone down. So what, what should be their first steps to try to drive transformation? So what's that sort of 90 day plan to solidify themselves as a, a business executive, right? First impressions of everything. What, what would you recommend they do first? Yeah. And Kevin, you know, you and I have talked many times in, in various sessions and opportunities online and offline. And, yep. and, you know, my belief is when we have these discussions, I always want people to walk away with learning something. You know, I want to give you something to know that you didn't know before. And then I want to make it actionable for you so you can walk away and go do something with it. You know, not just make it all theory. I want to find a way to make it actionable for you. So that's a great question because it kind of leads into this, this view that I have around how you build and develop a security organization. And, and look, every single organization is different. You know, over the years, and I've built security teams at you know some some pretty big companies over the years and the expectation was i need to i always gave myself 30 days 
I'd step into the company, I'd look at it, see what they were doing, and I'd wait 30 days before I made a change. But I always broke it down. I call them verticals. And you know, you kind of create a vertical that talks to what are all the technical security requirements that you need to cover, right? And then what are all of the compliance things that you need to do? You know, specific, because compliance is a big piece of it. You know, what are all of the business continuity kind of disaster recovery things that you need to do to kind of manage risk in the company? And then there's a whole nother vertical that just talks to kind of incident rep response and how you deal with events, you know, you know, incidents, you know, events that become incidents and ultimately potentially could become a breach. How do you, how do you kind of manage that? And, you know, at companies, I've gone in and I've had to create based upon the business, how the business runs, because look, information security, information protection starts with the business processes. If you're building security for the sake of security, you will fail. You need to engage with your business. You need to understand what they do, how they do it, and then build a security organization around that. And when I've gone into some companies, I've had as many as seven verticals, and in some companies, as few as three, based upon their business process, you know, what they do as a company and how they do it. And, you know, I call it logical chunks. You gotta, you know, this is common sense. And look, then you can get very detailed around, you know, levels of encryption and, you know, you know, DLP and, you know, all the, you know, what's your CASB configuration need to be for, you know, cloud access security and, you know, how are you doing security within your development organization? You know, it all depends upon, you know, you can get to very specific things you have to do, but you've got to start with creating these verticals of these logical chunks of how things need to align and how you have to approach them and then ultimately manage and protect it. I love that picture you 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 paint, and you know you say common sense, and I think it 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 is common sense, but I think it's also challenging for many people, right? I think I, I mentioned earlier, you know, you seem, and I know you've been doing this for a while. What you do seems to come across as effortless, even though you're one of the hardest workers I know. You know, you also come across as very genuine, right? Everybody likes Chris Dunning. You have a lot of friends in the business you're in, inside, outside. Do you think the fact that you do come across so genuine, is this a leadership quality? Do you think this is one of the reasons you're successful? Yeah, so, you know, it was, what, it was interesting. Um, I had a, an opportunity years ago to meet with a former um, Disney exec uh, who had actually, as a young man, actually spent time with Walt Disney. And, you know, he, he shared with me kind of this approach that he had taken to life. You know, as a very young man, you know, just starting out, he had met, at, met Disney and said to him, you know, I just don't know what I want to do. And he was actually friends at the time with Walt's daughter, Diane. And Walt pulled him aside because he, you know, he heard something in him and, and wanted to give him some guidance. And he says, well, you know, well, what do you want to do? What are you passionate about? And he said, you know, I'm passionate about, I want to, you know, I want to write for a newspaper. You know, I want to be a reporter. And, and, and he said, well, what's, why aren't you doing that? And he said, well, you know, I, I don't think I, I'm good enough or whatever. And he said, look, you know, Walt Disney, and you can look it up online, you know, he had this thing he called the four C's. And, you know, and, you know, it was, you know, courage, it was constancy, it was um, creativity, um, 
and you know the fourth one was confidence and he said the most important is confidence if you don't believe in what you do and how you do it how can you expect anybody else to right and you know when i do what i do i do it with absolute confidence that i'm doing the right thing and i'm here to make a difference and not just a difference you know in the world we'd all love to think that we influence the world at some great level mm. but my opportunity is to influence one-on-one -on -one with the person that i'm talking to at any moment in time and if i make a difference in that person they make a difference in someone else and then they grow and they change and that's my opportunity more than anything else and i've had great opportunities to do that to where you know i've got people that started with me as junior security kind of people who are off as CISOs at big companies today. And I couldn't be more proud of them. And, and that's, you know, that's what you have to do is kind of lead through example and, and, and really care about and be passionate about what you do. Yeah, I love that. I was talking to another uh, CISO and just the other day he had an open rec and he was hiring, I think, uh, a manager. And he had said to me, he said, my goal is to bring people on and help them advance in their career. And if all the people I bring on eventually leave my company to become CISO somewhere else, then I know I've been successful. And I thought that was pretty cool. And it's similar to your mentality, it sounds like. Yes, yeah, couldn't agree more. So when it comes to innovation, you mentioned uh, technology a little while ago. You mentioned Microsoft. How, right? How does CISO stay up to date with technologies that help drive business initiatives? And is there certain, should there be a certain focus? Like how do they, how do you stay up to date with all of the technologies out there that drive transformation? Do you rely on your team to do that? I mean, that seems like a. I, I know it feels daunting, but, yeah. but at the end of the day, you know, it all comes back to, and I said it before, it all begins and ends with your business process. New technology and innovations are really driving your business. And staying close to that and understanding that gives you visibility that you need to focus on the right things. You know, you know, Kevin, I know we've talked in the past about how cloud and development of the cloud is, you know, transforming the world and, and how people, you know, do what they do every day. Um, but at the same time, it's creating such risk and exposure to teams who had very different control processes and governance overview that doesn't really exist or hasn't existed historically within a lot of these cloud environments. And so, you know, for instance, we've invested, you know, an entire team to do nothing but cloud security within the development organization. And that team lives and is owned by the you know, the CTO who owns development, but, you know, my vice president of, you know, technical security is part of that team and provides a level of oversight where nobody goes off and does this. We all collaborate together. And I think, you know, that level of collaboration and understanding just, you know, creates this immediate sharing opportunity. I mean, right down to the project manager that oversees those cloud-based products, you know, you know, I made sure, you know, got a ticket to the Amazon, you know, last year's Amazon um, conference, because I want that project manager immersed in everything cloud. Mm. And, and that's how we yeah, just have to collaborate and work together. And, you know, we get it from, 
you know, there's just as many new things evolving and changing in the privacy, the privacy space. You know, GDPR started in Europe, and now we've got, you know, the California Consumer Privacy Act, yep. you know, CCPA, that we now have to deal with if you do business with people in California. And there's, I don't know, eight or nine states all working in legislature and, and legislation. And I think we're going to see things happening from a federal level um, with the new uh, president coming on board in the next four years where we're going to have to be dealing with, you know, some federal privacy law. And that's all going to drive technology and tools to do things that we haven't been doing today to learn and know and understand how we protect, you know, everyone's data. Well, I love that you're involved. I mean, I have a saying, probably heard me say it. I mean, you can't love unless you're involved. Um, and, and you're certainly involved. I think that's a good, you know, I think lesson for everybody involved. So I know our time is wrapping up. I, I just have one more question, Chris. We typically ask this in more general terms, like the CISO or CFO role heading into the future, but maybe you could just answer it from a leadership perspective, right? Do you see sort of the leadership expectations changing or how do you see them evolving in that role? I think we're going to see security leaders becoming much more involved with business and transformational initiatives in a, in a company. I think, you know, you know, I, you know, I, I not only do security, I also do strategic sourcing for the company. And I do that because it gives me oversight to contracts and, 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 you know, financial things, you know, I'll, I'll, I think true, true security leaders have to show their ability to get step out of their comfort zone and get closer to the business and, and, and lead at that level as well. Awesome. Well, Chris, you know, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, you and I talk often. I think it's nice for you to get sort of exposure for the second time to all of our listeners as well, so they can get to know you and sort of your opinions. And, you know, we, we really appreciate your time and I know our listeners will appreciate your insight and sort of the thoughtful approach you take to the world of security. You know, as always, you know, uh, uh, you can learn more about this episode and other CISO interviews on our website, klogicsecurity.com forward slash podcast. Chris, thanks so much. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it.